0: Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Amen. So um, Christmas officially is up at my house as well. It is it like in the church here. You drive around, you see all the Christmas lights and all the houses, and I'll tell you what, I love it. I love I love Christmas. It really is the most wonderful time of the year. I might have a different holiday I like more, but this month stretch here is just the best. Like I just, I love the Christmas season. and And in one of the most tense and like bickery and fighting like years, we've maybe ever had as Americans, right? I thought we'd just add to it just a little bit more this morning. And I would want to just invite you all into it as well. I feel like I've been putting my neck on the line a few times, but I want to see some of your hands going up as well this morning. So I just want to know, there's a lot of fighting and disagreement around when it is acceptable to decorate for Christmas, right? So so how many of you are pre-Thanksgiving people, free in Jesus, before Thanksgiving, it is fine. Come on, don't be ashamed in this place. Raise your hand proudly, before the, this is me. This is me and my, as for me and my wife, we will decorate on November 13th, November 15th. Every year we do it November 15th. That's a fixed date. Thanksgiving's a moving target. I don't want my Christmas season to be shortened. I want a fixed date. I want to know how long I'm going to be having my house decorated for Christmas. You know what I'm saying? How many of y'all, I feel like this is the most normal one, but how many of you guys are Thanksgiving weekend? It can be, it can be right after Thanksgiving. It can be Friday, that weekend. Oh, come on, raise your hand. Okay, so yeah. I feel like y'all are the, the normal crowd. This is the regular answer, okay? How many of you are, don't you, don't you touch 101.1 on the radio? Don't you put that Christmas tree up? Don't you see no lights on my house until December 1st or later? Raise your hands. Come on, it's okay. You don't have to believe what we believe to belong here, okay? All right. Like I really do, like I I love it. I love this time of year. Uh, Probably one of my favorite things on planet Earth is coming down from my stairs in the dark. Kate and I are up early most mornings, not necessarily because we're these like super chipper morning people, but because if you have three kids and you want some couch time with your wife, you got to wake up before the sun gets up. You know what I'm saying? And so coming down my stairs in the dark i can see the faint glow of our front room when you come in there i'm greeted with a village that has all this frosted snow decorating it and I, we have our tree set up our stockings are hung we have a we have a wreath we have we have garland the whole shebang all right and i Love it. But what I love most about this time of year truly is the Advent season. And I know you're probably like, that's the pastor answer. You have to say that. Of course that's what you would say. But it really is. Like I, I love Advent. I love this time where as the church we are we are focusing on, it's this liturgical season in the calendar. Where we're all kind of orienting ourselves around this time, where we're anticipating the arrival of Christ and and the miracle of His incarnation and coming to save us, like absolutely, like I love that. But in this moment in history, Advent really has us looking in two directions. See, we don't we don't just look at the arrival of Christ as that six pound eight ounce baby Jesus on on Christmas, right? We, we also are anticipating and looking forward to his arrival when he comes back again. So this is what's great is Advent for us is is we have the the history and we have the text that we can look back at all that it meant for Jesus to come the first time in a way that would stir up hope and anticipation for his return. And so Advent technically started last weekend, but we're gonna be jumping into it for the next few weeks. Last week, rather than start Advent, we had Caden preach the last message in the You Asked For It series, and I thought the kid flat crushed it. Like if you, if you were here, you got to see it. If you didn't see it, you need to go back and watch it because really those last two weeks there of the of the U.S. Sports series, we really identified and nailed down not just what we think about worship and the gathering, but really where our hearts are going, where we as a church see the value and just how awesome those are. And I thought, man, Caden not only just unpacked a critical word that was on his heart, but really articulated clearly how we feel about worship as a house. Is that like, that's who we are. And so if you want to watch those, you didn't see them. go back and watch those for sure. But in Advent, what I would like to do is I'd like to draw us really to this verse, um, where, where we see John in revelation, writing down the words, behold, behold. I I want to stop right there and just admit to you how much I love the word behold. I I I do. I think it's just one of the coolest words in the English language. It's not just fun to say, but I feel like oftentimes I'm, I'm picking on English because of the garbage time usage of words that we've, that we've created in our language. Do you know what I mean? So like, what, what isn't awesome anymore? I, when I say something is awesome, I can be talking about the sunset on the Rocky Mountains. I can be talking about the awe that I'm captivated with as I stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon. I can be talking about the awe and wonder and majesty of Christ reigning on his throne. And I could be talking about the awesome taco I had yesterday. I could be talking about the awesome night's sleep I got last night. Like it just, we use these words and they begin to lose their meaning. But behold is a word that I think actually captures what I'm hoping we'll do here for the next few weeks. The in behold, the, the invitation is to look at something that we've found that is worth getting lost in. That we would actually fix our eyes on something that's worth our gaze and, and in behold, it's not just this invitation to look at, it, it's also this invitation to actually see it. And so there's a lot of like just routine stories as we go through Advent and we, and we read a lot of Luke too and we see all the same passages every year and it can get familiar, it can get rote. But what I hope we see this year, what I hope that we, our hearts would be drawn into is that we would actually see the goodness of our Savior and we would see just the value and the gift that it was when he wrapped himself in human flesh, stepped out of heaven. He, I mean, he had all the power. All, all, everyone was worshiping him. Everyone was worship, giving him the worship that was due his name. All the majesty, the glory belonged to him. And he laid that aside, put on this weak human flesh to come to a world where people weren't going to treat him the way he was worth we are going to mock him and belittle him and torture him and kill him. And yet he stepped down out of heaven in that miracle of the incarnation to save us, to make a way when there was no way. And, and at the same time, we are hinged to, we are tied to this promise that he will return again. He will return again. And so behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wait on account of him. Even so, amen. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. And so for the next few weeks, we're gonna consider how God is. God is, he is our hope today, right now. He is also one who was. And we're going to see how that consistency, that immutability that God has to continue being who he has always been gives us hope. And then as we consider the promise of him to come and make all things new and make all sad things untrue, that is something that we should long for and should push us forward in our faith with hope, with an expectation that he's going to deliver. And so as we hope, um, I think one of the, one of the, places that I kind of want to pull us all into today is just really the frustration and angst of 2020, which shouldn't be hard. Like, like this has just been a, it's been a rough year in a lot of ways. And, and I think that what I want to communicate to you this morning more than anything else is I think that Advent maybe more than ever before was a gift to the church, especially in 2020. In this season where we've maybe seen that we've placed our hope in other things that are frail and that are failing us, what it does is it has this chance to point us all the more towards Christ, to put our mind all the more on him. So there's, there's a lot of different areas that we're all gonna turn to for this idea of hope. Like we're gonna turn to things like control. If we can control an outcome, if we can control a scenario really well, it makes us feel good about it. We might have peace there if we can control it. And has that been shaken in 2020? You want to step in Home Depot without a mask on? Somebody's going somebody's to, and you're like, I'm, I'm in control of this situation, right? Like, I, you can't tell me what to do with my mask. Um, we also will turn to, we'll also turn to comfort. Hasn't comfort been taken from us? Like, I, just, I just want to go sit at a restaurant and eat food on the inside of the restaurant, not in an ice hut outside. I'm appreciative of what they're doing, but I want to go and I want to sit down in a restaurant. Like literally, 2020 has my wife and I for our 10-year anniversary coming up in a couple of weeks. Considering that we we got another plans figured out, which is good, but we were at a point considering going to Greeley just so we could sit in a restaurant. <laughs> we got other plans figured out, so praise the Lord. But our comfort's been rocked. Our comfort's been shaken from us. People aren't acting the way we're used to them acting. Like it just feels different. The other one we're going to run to is approval approval. And, and my, oh my, if 2020 hasn't shaken up our ability to be approved of by others, you pick your topic, masks, Black Lives Matter, the election, COVID, the, you know, go just down the list of what was 2020. And, and I, I remember, uh, sitting, sitting like on my couch, opening up Instagram on a morning in June and all like, okay, so this is probably not for some of you who aren't on Instagram, but some of you who were on Instagram, you saw this one day where it was just black, right? Just scrolling through and it's blackout Tuesday. I don't even know it was a thing, but all of a sudden my whole reel's black and immediately felt this, this tug on my heart. Do, Do I post something like this? But then this camp will all label me like this and they'll associate me with this. Do I post something like this? Do I post something different? Do I, do I not post the blackout box? Do I just post something different? But then this whole camp of thinking of me like this. And, and there wasn't even an option not to post anything because what was the hallmark line from that day? Your silence is deafening. The fact that you're not even willing to do something is deafening, right? And so like we felt this in 2020, there were so many things that it's like, man, all these divisive issues, I didn't even feel like I could raise my hand for when we celebrate Christmas or when we put up our Christmas tree, Without feeling like I'm just uh, like, I'm noticing how much people just notice these tense issues these days, which by the way, the right answer to raising your hand was it's 2020. There aren't rules this year for when you can put up your Christmas tree. (laughs) You just, you're free in Jesus. You put it up whenever you want. But we've had these things shaken. We've had these things shaken. And this last week I was, I I saw a story. Maybe some of you saw it. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe some of you have just chosen to just like kind of cut ties with the internet, get off social media altogether, just you're not watching the news anymore. You might be the happiest people in this room at this point. Look, I okay, I saw this quote from this, uh, I guess he's an actor, Duncan Trussell. I don't even know who he is. I just love this quote though. He said, There's some poor, phoneless fool sitting next to a waterfall somewhere, totally unaware of how angry and scared he's supposed to be. <laughs> And if that doesn't make you just reconsider everything about the internet, I don't know what will. It's so true. And yet, like, 2020 has kind of gripped us in this way. And, and so there was a story that came out this week of an actress, and you can look it up later. Like, I, I'm so not here to make fun of or to pick on this situation, uh, her decision at all. But this famous actress uh, announced this week that she was transitioning to be a male. And so she, she made this announcement and in her Instagram post that she came out with, she was writing out this letter for the world to see. And, and what I want to draw attention to, the reason I'm bringing it up, again, it's not to pick on her, it's not to shame her in any way, but it was tragic because in the one moment as she was leading into that this was the most joyous decision she's ever made, finally, I can be authentically me and I can love me as I am. And in this moment where she was, she was admitting this like liberation from how the world has imposed its values or its perception of her. Like she immediately then in the next line went to say, and my joy is fragile. And I'm terrified that other people's opinions are going to take it away from me. And, And this is the lie of approval. Then on the one hand, we we might say, oh, I'm just going to do this no matter what anyone else thinks. I'm just going to finally be authentically me. But as soon as we say that, we are enslaving ourselves right away to the ability of other people around us to receive that or to walk in it with us. So it's tragic. It's heartbreaking. And we should be moved in those situations towards compassion towards those people, not initially towards our keyboards to get involved in the comments section. Because it's just garbage there and you don't need to add your voice to it. Like we should be moved with the fact that, man, the, the world is turning to things that are failing them. Like we're running to places for hope. We're running to places for peace. We're running to places for love. We're running to places for joy. And the world can't offer it to us. It's not working. The feedback cycle has come back and shown this system is broken. We're more angsty, frustrated, depressed, medicated, all of it than maybe ever before. And it's really easy as the church to point out there and to look at this one story and say, I can't believe this girl would make this decision and she wouldn't see this truth. It's a lot harder for the church to get in front of a mirror and ask the Holy Spirit to say, God, would you search me? test my anxious heart? Would you see if there's any way in me that's offensive? And if we as the church could come to the Lord and just say, hey, is there something in 2020 where I've turned, where I've been looking for hope in the wrong place? Because 2020, as it's revealing these things, we can look at it in a couple different ways. Like as the world flips upside down and maybe like your job's not as secure as it used to be, As these relationships weren't as good as you thought they were, as this person's not giving this approval, this comfort's going away, this control's going away. As all those things start to kind of get shifty, what we can happen, what what we can do is we can we can turn towards God and say, How dare you take this away from me? Or we can see it as the invitation that it is to be refined and to be reformed. And so we should not see the we should not see these things like when worldly things are failing us. We should not see them as punishment. We should see them, see them as his grace, as his kindness, as his love to reveal to us that the things that we're turning to aren't the actual thing that our heart is after. It's not the actual source of joy. It's a cheap version of it that oftentimes just looks like happiness. And happiness is a cheap, frail emotion. Any You might be having the most happy day of your life so far, and that is one phone call away from changing. Every single person in this room. Your happiness could be gone like that. Your health, the things that we've like invested so much in. Like, I, I think so much of what's happening right now with this pandemic, maybe not so much in the church, but maybe in the world that we're living in, is, is we're being confronted with our mortality for the first time. And the world that has been like invested so much in their health and got to eat my blueberries and eat my spinach and take my multivitamin and go to the gym. And all of a sudden that's not good enough to protect us. And we're realizing how fragile we are. And so we're freaking out. I think um, as this happens, as, as things that we've turned to, the, the biblical word there would be idols. As we've turned towards comfort, control, um, approval, the other one would be power just really like to win. I like to look strong. I like to be strong. As those things become frail, and as we realize that those are cracked cisterns that can't actually hold the well, uh, the, the living water that we've been given, we should ask ourselves, okay, then what is hope then? What does it mean as a, as a Christian to hope? What does it mean as a believer to have hope? Well, there's, there's a couple things that it's not, but before I do that, let me just explain what hope as simply as you can put it, is the desire for something good in the future. It's just desiring something good for the future. I hope in about an hour, I'll be eating lunch. (laughs) That would be good for my future stomach. I have a desire for that taco, for that whatever. I may be having a pizza roll from Pizza Street, maybe in about an hour, I have that hope that it will be better. Um, Notice though, whenever we use this word, for, now I just mention, mentioned Pizza Street and y'all are going to try and beat me there. <laughs> um, whenever we use this word hope in English, we're oftentimes, we're using it with just a dash of doubt. Do you, do you feel this? So uh, when my kids say like, I hope we have Chick-fil-A for dinner, what they're acknowledging in that moment is that they have a desire for Chick-fil-A for dinner, but they're doubting that it'll actually happen. Because there's a track record there that we don't eat Chick-fil-A for dinner every single night, even though they would <laughs> love to. It, I might say like, I hope it snows this week. And I, I do, like, I, hope, I love that it's nice in December, but I'm kind of ready for some snow, for some winter weather, right? So I hope it snows, but in that there's a dash of doubt that it might not. We, when we use the word hope, we're oftentimes lacing it with doubt in almost every way that we use it. So hope is, is not a couple things. Hope is not optimism. We have to get this as the church. Christian hope is not equal to optimism. I think optimism oftentimes gets celebrated in circles of faith. Sometimes optimism can really look like faithfulness. People who are really optimistic might just be seen as the faithful people, but they are not the same. Like I am naturally very optimistic. Like I'm I'm wired this way. Being optimistic just means like, I, I see the scenario that I'm sitting in, I look at all the factors and my brain just chooses to see the best possible outcome. That's what optimism is. I look at it and I'm just like, we can do it in less time. We can do it for less money. And I just like, I underestimate all the bad things and I overestimate all the good things. I'm optimistic. But optimism is not faithfulness. Optimism, most times what I've found in my life is that it's actually just a crutch to carry me along in my stupidity. (laughs) Because I make a timeline that's way too short. I make a budget that's way too small. I under, I, I just, what I've naturally found is that like, there's optimistic people and then there's realistic people. Pessimistic people might be the better word there, but you know, r- realistic is the word that they prefer, right? <laughs> and so- you have this balance and the realistic people are going to going to do the opposite of me they're going to see the, they're going to probably see the worst possible outcome and neither one that, that is not to be equated with faithfulness it's not to be equated with faithlessness i have found that the best decisions that i make come with a healthy blend of both optimism and realism like that like that's where that's because it's a wiring it's not this thing that God has just given me to be the most awesome. That's not, that's not what optimism is. Hope is not optimism. Um, the other thing that hope is not is hope is not being oblivious. I think there are times that as the faith community, we can, we can want to just grab this bumper sticker of God works all things together for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. We can just slap out on any hard thing that starts to happen. And that a lot of times is not helpful. It's true, and I believe that God works all things together for those who are called according to his purposes, for for the good. I I believe that. I believe the story of Joseph, what the enemy intended for evil, God was going to use it for good. I believe it 100%. But what I also believe 100% is there are some people who have walked through tragedy who won't experience the realization of that verse until glory. But man, my hope, my prayer is one day you'll get there one day and you'll get to make sense of that tragic thing that you walked through by the grace of God. But but we cannot pretend that hope is the ability to neglect all the things that are going on around us. That's how the world sometimes wants to label us. As, oh, you Christians, you just claim faith. Therefore, you get to be oblivious to all these problems. That's a lot of like us gathering right now. Is the world's like, how oblivious can you be that there's a pandemic going on right now? And, and we covered that a couple of weeks ago, so I'm not going to go into it. But like we we are not just neglectful or unwilling to look at the issues that are going on. So Psalm, Psalm 56, eight, some of you maybe have this framed in your house. You keep track of my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You've recorded each one of them in your book. And what that tells me is that God cares deeply about those who have walked through tragedy. He is near to the brokenhearted. It is not his heart that we would pretend like they never happened. And so the reminder in bringing up even a verse like this is that those aren't just words on a page. That's the word of God describing the character of God. That he's paying, he's a paying attention deeply to the things that have happened to you in your life. We don't have to live in this place of oblivion, pretending like there's no problems. Like we can acknowledge full well what's going wrong and still be hopeful. I think of the story of Paul in Acts chapter 20. He's leaving the church of Ephesus. He says, that, I feel like the Holy Spirit has compelled me now to go to Jerusalem. And what he says is he's like, and I don't, I don't know what I'm going into there. I don't know what's gonna happen to me. But what he says then right after that, he's like, surely imprisonment and affliction awaits me. Do do you hear in that moment how there is, there is a greater hope that's compelling him to go. He's not, he's not optimistic. He's realistic. Like he's saying, he's acknowledging full well, this is going to end poorly. Like I'm going to get beaten up. I'm going to get tortured. I'm going to get thrown in prison, but I'm going to go because of this hope that compels me. He's going to preach the gospel. He's also not walking in oblivion. Well, the Apostle Paul, like read any of the New Testament. These guys aren't walking around going like, nothing bad is ever going to happen to me. Nothing bad is happening in the world around me. We can acknowledge full well what's happening and we can can long for. And for those of you, like, I know there are people in this room where 2020 has been a cakewalk compared to something else that you've walked through in your life. Like I know, like you're like, are you kidding me? I I would live this year again a hundred times if I never had to go back to that moment. And my prayer and my hope in this series is that what we're going to do is we're going to stir up your desire for the day to come when God un- undoes all, all the sad things that have ever happened. And he renews the world that we're living in and he ushers in a new age, one that's free of sickness and one of pain. And so that is coming in a couple of weeks, but I just want to remind you this, like to be hopeful is not to be this like happy-go-lucky tigger, pretend like there's no problems in the world and to just like see the best possible outcome that's going on. That's not that's not necessarily our call. So what is hope? What is our call? There's two words in Hebrew that describe that uh, the Old Testament uses primarily for this English word hope. The first one's yahal. Just all right. Let's just do it. Everyone, just say yahal. Like give the give it a good throat. Turn to your neighbor. Maybe don't actually don't spit on anybody. It's not a good idea. <laughs> just everyone go. <laughs> right. Congratulations, you completed step one of Hebrew. That's like the main thing there. Yachal just means to wait, to wait, to just be patient for something. Uh, Noah had the yachal for the flood water to recede before he could get off the boat. It's just, it's just a waiting thing. Have you heard the, the proverb, um, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Have you heard that? And, and that word hope comes from this Root word, this Hebrew root word. And what it's saying is like to have an expectation, to be waiting for something to happen that you're expecting to happen and to have that not come through is to make your heart sick. Let me translate it another way for you guys. If you say that you're gonna be home at five o'clock from work and you tell your wife that you're gonna be home at five o'clock from work and you set the expectation in her heart that you're gonna be home at five o'clock from work and you come home late, you have now deferred that hope and you've made her heart sick, aka angry. (laughs) <laughs> right? But it's just simply to wait and to overweight makes our heart angsty. That's what I like. I'm going to do a whole sermon one day on expectation management. Cause I, I swear that like the key to happiness in your life is just to manage your expectations better, but that's a different sermon for a different day. The other, the other word is Kava Kava and Kava is to wait, but it's to wait in tension. So a kav is a cord. It's the Hebrew word for cord. And the word picture that kavah is painting for us is a cord that's being stretched. And they're, they're, we're waiting, but we're waiting with the sort of tension and anticipation that something's about to happen. A farmer doesn't plant seeds and then wait like Yahal. A, a farmer would plant seeds into a ground with kavah, with this hope-filled anticipation that something's going to happen. He would plant the seed and acknowledge that even though it looks like it's dead right now, he's counting on life in the next season. And so this is the hope that we are called to walk in as believers, not just this blind hope that is disregarding everything that's going on around us, not just this optimistic way that we see all the different paths out of this scenario, but one that expects for Jesus to do the things that he's promised that he said he was going to do and for him to, that he, that he accomplished what he said he was going to accomplish and that he's going to fulfill what he promised to fulfill. And so there's a verse that uses both of these words, and it's in Psalm 130. So you can flip in your Bible there with me if you have your Bible with you, or it'll be up on the screen. But Psalm 130 reads Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark, my iniqu- should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. I wait. Like I'm, I'm patient. Oftentimes, I think the promises of God can take longer to fulfill than we want them to. We, we wait. We are patient towards the Lord, but we aren't just patient. In his word, I hope. I hope. I have this eager expectation, this eager anticipation that he will do the things that he promised to do. My soul waits for the Lord, more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. O Israel, here's the command now, the charge. O Israel. Hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So I love that this this psalm is written at a time looking forward to Jesus, that there is one who is coming who is steadfast in love. There is one who is coming who's plentiful in redemption. The other translation would be that his redemption is complete. We have the privilege here, church, of sitting back and looking at what Christ has done that very first Christmas. That we get, to, we get to draw our minds back to his steadfast love for us. He loves you with a steadfast love. There's nothing that you can do to add to his love. There's nothing you did to earn it initially. There was no amount of behavior that disqualified you from it. Like he loves you. He loves you so much. He was willing to lay aside all of the gifts of heaven and step into all the pain and brokenness on earth so that he could redeem you and me. And and his redemption is complete. It's finished. It's done. He paid the price in its totality. If there was sin left to be dealt with, he would still be on the cross. He would have never gotten down off the cross if he didn't pay for our sin in its full. He has bought us back with his blood. And we cannot think about, we cannot think about Advent and just his coming. We also, like Christmas and Easter are so intrinsically woven together in this. That in our coming, in his coming, in his arrival, what Advent really means, we're we're immediately drawn to what he's going to do for us. Because he knew what he was going to do the moment that he chose to step out of heaven. He was going to be obedient to the father's will, even unto death on the cross. And that love for you has been as steadfast today as it was then. He made that decision to save you. He saw you and me. He saw us and he stepped out, laid it all aside so that he could save us, so that he could redeem us fully. Your redemption's complete. Like there's nothing else you can add to what Jesus has done for you. He paid the ultimate price so that he could wash your record completely clean. And I know that's like hard for some of you to believe. Like I know, I know even some of you, there's doubt in that statement that you're like, how could God possibly do that for me? And I would just say, you're, you're small potatoes compared to every biblical character in your sin. You got, you got all sorts of just crazy stuff that the, every, almost every biblical character has walked through and he saved you. He saved them and he saved you. And so, as we look at Jesus for our hope, here's what Paul writes in Romans 15:13. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope, like he is our hope. Paul acknowledges it right there. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. So the byproduct of faith in Christ, so the byproduct of faith—faith faith being your autonomous will colliding with the will of the Father in heaven—as you yield to Him, as you submit to God, as you as you uh, surrender to Him over yourself, you have this faith. You have this trust in Him. Apparently, making a great point because He's in it right now. As you yield to Him. This faith is born. That faith is going to produce something in you that's called hope, Christian hope, one that is not contingent on circumstances, one that is relying on God himself to do the things that he promised to do. And that hope in you is going to give birth to joy and peace. It says it right there in Romans. May the God of all hope fill you with all joy and peace. I would argue that joy and peace come from hope being placed in the spot where you're meant to put it. When you put your hope in Jesus, you may have to be patient, but He will fulfill all things that He's promised. I would argue that all heartbreak is going to come from hope misplaced. If you misplace your hope, that is that is going to be the source of heartbreak in your life. Ask any middle school kid in the room. Or maybe we all go back to middle school for a minute, where you wrote that letter to that girl. You were so sure. You were so hope-filled in that moment and she shot you down, right? It's hope misplaced. Like this is why I say that Advent is meant for the church, especially in a year like 2020. Because what I think has happened to us by and large is we've realized I don't have the control that I thought I had. I can't control my kids from embarrassing me. I can't control uh, this thing from happening at work. I can't control this with my finances. Um, our approval, again, like what a, what a hard time to lead anything, even your own household, if you're striving for the approval of others to get your value, to get your worth. Like, but yet like our approval, the spots where we've been turning to, longing to have our love and affection coming from the approval of somebody else. That's been shaken up this year. Our comfort, the things that we used to do like that, like our comfort's been rocked. And and so has our ability to seem or be powerful. All this stuff is, they're they're what Jeremiah would call broken cisterns. I love what he says in Jeremiah 2, 12 and 11. He's, as judgment's being pronounced on Israel, says, "Be be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. Like you have my attention. You open a verse with something like that. It's saying, hey, all of you heavenly beings, be shocked at what I'm about to say. Be utterly desolate for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me. So they experienced my goodness. They saw who I was. They know who I am and they've abandoned me. That's their first evil. But the second one is this. They've abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. AKA, they, they put their hope in other worldly things. They didn't put their hope in God, their provider. They didn't put their hope in God, uh, the Prince of Peace. Like they were turning to all these different worldly things. And church, the truth is, is we're guilty of the same thing here in 2020. This was Israel then, but we, we do this. And, and the question that I think is before everybody today is just to search out and you go, man, is the source of my angst, is the source of my frustration, my depression, my anger, on some level, is it because I've placed my hope in the wrong things? Have I been turning to things of this world to to satisfy me, to be that living water that only comes from Jesus? And as that's revealed, we are faithfully and lovingly invited to turn towards the river of living hope that is Jesus. And so would you stand? I wanna read one more verse over you and then I wanna pray. In John 15. John's talking about abiding in Christ's love. And I think we've talked about this so much as a church where our striving, should it be anywhere, it should be to remain close to Jesus, not to do these things so that we impress him, but we do these things to keep our heart and our mind near to him. As we abide, we read our Bible, we pray, we come to church so that we're closer to the stream of living water. And as the fathers love me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've I've kept my father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. God cares deeply about your joy. He just is not afraid to admit that the only place that's gonna put a deep-seated joy in your heart that's irrevocable, a deep-seated joy that isn't contingent on circumstances, It it doesn't matter what's happening in the world around you. The only way to that joy is through an abiding relationship with him. And that is something that he wants for you. So like he cares about your joy. He cares about your love. He just wants to be the source of it. And so the invitation as you go home today, have a conversation with whoever you're driving home with, get in front of the mirror, have a conversation with yourself. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal in your heart, where, where have you hewed out broken cisterns for yourself? Because I believe that one of the things God is doing in 2020 is he's helping those broken cisterns leak all the more. And he's refining his church. He's purifying his church. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord, we love you and we need you. And we invite you to come in and invade our hearts and show us the spots that are off, not because you are a God who likes to punish, but because you are the author and perfecter of faith and hope and love and joy. And so God, I pray that we would consider the unsearchable riches that are available in you. I pray that we would turn away from the things of this world that are promising things that they cannot deliver. And would our soul be drawn up to behold you in these coming weeks? I pray that we would have a wonderful Christmas season. I pray that all the families who get to gather and do things, I pray that it's awesome. I pray that you'd be near to the lonely in this season, but I pray more than anything else about Christmas and the presents and the commercial thing that we have made it these days, would we be drawn up into fixing our eyes and seeing you for who you really are. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen. Amen. Hey, uh, God bless you guys. Love you. See you next week.